Thank you, worship team, for, for leading us in that great song. Well, if this is your first week with us during this Advent season, we are on week two of a series called Tune Into Christmas, where we're focusing upon one particular Christmas song that we, we all know and that we all love each week, uh, such as Mary Did You Know, which Phil did a wonderful job of singing for us today. Thank you so much. And our hope here is not just to, not just to reminisce. It's not just to go, yeah, hey, I like that song. Or I love that song. That, that's part of it. But to also get into what is the deeper meaning behind the song. So that if you hear it playing on your car radio, if you hear it as you're walking through a, a store while you're shopping, it, it takes you back to a deeper experience of what that song is about of why that song was first written in, in the first place, and hopefully to a deeper place of worship as well. Last week we started with one of the oldest Christmas carols that we sing, Joy to the World, that is 300 years old this year, written back in 1719. And this week we look at one of the newest songs that, that's very, very common during the Christmas season for us. Mary, Did You Know, a song that's written by a guy named Mark Lowry. A lot of us probably know that name, Mark Lowry, because he spent the better part of four decades as a member of the Gaither Vocal Choir. And I know there's a lot of people who have listened to them over the years. Back in 1984, when this song was first written, it actually wasn't written as a song. It was written as a script or as sort of a framework for a Christmas play that Mark Lowry was asked to, to be involved in. And so he approached this Christmas program from the perspective of, if I was able to sit across a table from Mary, the mother of Jesus, what questions would I ask her? And as he pondered these sorts of things, the, the words of the song came together. And it wasn't for another 10 years yet until he actually found the right music to put to those words. And, and 10 years later, this famous Christmas carol was born which has been recorded by hundreds of artists in the decades since that follow. <clears throat> the song is written from the perspective of a person who has the opportunity to look back upon the life of Jesus. A person who has full awareness of everything that took place in Jesus' life and, and what it means for all of humanity. And as these words were written, it invites the listeners, it invites us to contemplate those early moments in a relationship between a mother and her newborn son. These moments as, as Mary looks upon the sleeping face of her son Jesus and ponders all of the years that are ahead of them, all of the hopes, all of the dreams, all of the fears of this child's life that are yet to be realized. And it begs the question, Mary, how much are you aware of? Mary, how much do you know? Mary, how much are you prepared for? Are you prepared for when he's fussy at night and, and just won't settle and go to sleep? Are, are you prepared to care for him when he gets sick? Are, are you prepared for even, yes, even in Jesus' life back in those days, you needed to go through potty training. Are you prepared for these things? As he got a little bit older, Mary, are you prepared for when he needs help with his schoolwork, with his rabbinical lessons? Mary, are you prepared for when he's about 13, 14, and those years kind of hit? Mary, are you prepared for when he decides to leave home one day? Mary, this is a special child, and not, not special like all other parents go, oh, look how special and pretty my baby is, like, like a special child with a high calling. He's going to be the leader of a nation. 
There are going to be moments of danger. There are going to be moments where he is opposed by people. Mary, do you know that? To those things? I'm quite confident that Mary would have said yes. Yes, I know those things will take place. But, But Mary, what if? What if your son is rejected by those people he's supposed to lead? Mary, what if your son, when he grows up, if he lives as an outsider, if he never has any place to lay his head at night, if, Mary, what if your son has no worldly possessions to call his own? Mary, what if, what if he turns your world upside down? What if in the process of turning the world upside down, he becomes seen as a threat by the religious institution of which you are a part? Mary, what if at the only the age of 33 he is arrested He is brutally beaten, and you find yourself laying at the foot of a cross as your son dies. Mary, did you know that? Are you prepared for that? To those, she would say, no. I'm not. How could I be prepared for that? See, we, like Mark Lowry, have the benefit of time. We know how the story ends, that even though all of those events took place, we know the victory that exists in the midst of all those things. The reality is, Mary would have known a lot of these things. She would have been able to anticipate some of those questions that are asked in the song. You see, prophecy had foretold that there would be a Messiah, and that the Messiah would be one who would heal. The Messiah was one who would deliver his people. The angelic announcement, the prophecies that were foretold, the means of conception, all of this was evidence that this was a special child that she carried. And in Luke chapter 1, we read about this announcement and and the conception when we hear that the angel Gabriel appears to Mary. Now, Mary is not a a very old person at this point. She's thought to be maybe 13, 14 years old. And this angel appears in front of her one evening. And as you can understand, this is shocking to this young girl. You know, I always feel sorry for angels in the Bible, in particular in the Christmas story. Like imagine every single time you appear to somebody, they're just terrified and they hide from you. It doesn't matter what your message is. It doesn't matter how good your purpose is. You have to always begin your message with, don't don't be afraid. I'm not that kind of angel. (laughs) Every time. And here's what Gabriel says to her. The angel said to her, don't be afraid. There it is. Don't be afraid, Mary, because you have found favor with God. You will conceive and you will give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the J- Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, did you know? Yeah. She was aware that she was carrying the Messiah. And like most parents, she knew the milestones of a person's life. But she was short on details. And so she asks, how can this be possible? That's an important detail. How can this be possible? I, I've, I've never known a man, and I'm, I'm engaged to Joseph, and that whole wedding thing's going to happen. How is we going to handle this? And the angel tells her that this child will be born of spirit and of flesh, and that he would be the son of God. This is an incredible moment. You know, for those of us who grew up in the church and, and perhaps have, have heard the story time and time again and, and we've accepted that this is a historical event, it becomes very familiar to us. But let's not pretend it's ordinary. 
It might be familiar to us, but let's not pretend it's ordinary. Because as Christmas comes around and people start to contemplate the things of Jesus in, in the world around us in a new way, th- this is a stumbling block. So it might be familiar to us, but let's not pretend it's ordinary. Because when we do, it unnecessarily offends the logic and the intelligence of those around us. But at the same time, it devalues the significance of the event that's taking place here. An event in which, on the authority of Scripture, we can trust in the words of the angel when he says to Mary in response, nothing is too hard for God. And no word from God will ever fail. You know, as amazing as this event is, almost equally as amazing is this young girl's response. Because her response is incredible. Think about the setting, the announcement, what has all just taken place in this short conversation. What is her response? She says this in verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. Mary didn't know all the details. She didn't know what lay ahead for her and her son. But she knew his father. Mary didn't know all the details of what would lay ahead for her and her son, but she knew his father. And that enabled her to say yes. That is what enabled her to say yes to his gift in her life. You see, we have further evidence of this as she continues. Because just a few verses later in Luke chapter 1, Mary goes to visit one of her relatives named Elizabeth, who is also with child. And by the time Mary arrives, the, the fear has subsided. And in its place is joy and excitement that she expresses in the form of a hymn that we find in verse 46. Now this hymn... It's like a psalm. If you go to the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, you have all these beautiful poetic readings. It's kind of like that. And this particular hymn, this particular psalm, is referred to historically as the Magnificat. It's a Latin word. A Latin word that means glorify. Because through the words that follow from verse 46 through 55 that we're going to briefly take a look at today, she glorifies God for this gift in her life. She puts language to her joy. She reveals just how well she knows her heavenly father in this hymn that enabled her yes to his presence in her life. To help you understand what's going on here, can you think of a time perhaps in your life when you were so filled with happiness? You were just so filled with excitement that it demanded to be expressed, even involuntarily just demanded to be expressed from you. You know, one thing that Nadine and I like doing together is watching, like, championship games. And she'll sit, she won't watch the whole series with me, but she'll watch, like, a game seven. Whether it be the Stanley Cup finals, the World Series, uh, the Grey Cup final championship game, right? She'll watch those because she loves at the end of the game when these grown adults just turn into kids. And they just, like, run on the field and they're throwing stuff and celebrating. And there's just this expression that has to come out because they're so excited. I, I've never had a event like that particularly take place for myself. But when I think about this question, I actually go back to our wedding day. And on our wedding day, 25 years ago this year, as we stood on a platform with with my guys around me, just waiting for the service to start, pastors up there with me, and all of a sudden the doors open to the sanctuary, and there was Nadine in her dress with her veil, just looking beautiful. First thought that popped into my mind, I, she showed up. I, I, I can't believe she showed up. Wow. 
There's no going back now, right? And then she starts to walk. And as she walks down the aisle, I can kind of feel it building inside my stomach to my heart. I'm like, nope, hold it together, Mark. Hold it together. Pastor starts talking. I have no clue what he was saying. Just holding it together. Then comes the time for the vows, and I have to actually say something. And I get the first line out, and after the first line, I turned into a blubbering mess and like wept through all of the vows. It just demanded expression. And they should have written songs for Dean. Instead of Mary, did you know? Dean, did you know that your husband is such a baby? <laughs> we go through. Just demanded expression. But for Mary, these aren't just her feelings that she's expressing. As we're going to quickly walk through this verse, these verses today, we see that she's expressing joy. She's expressing this act of worship towards her heavenly father. These words come from the core of her being. They come from her very soul as she returns these words back to God. So beginning in verse 46 of Luke chapter 1, her hymn begins by praising God for what he has done for her. And she starts with these words. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. See, the events of her life are becoming real. She hadn't adopted, after this angelic pronouncement, she didn't adopt this, well, we'll just kind of wait and see approach. No, she moved into it. She fully embraced what was happening to her. And she acknowledged that God is the author, that he is the source, that he is the father of this blessing that is within her. At the same time, she understands her unworthiness. She's mindful of her own personal depravity, that the reality of this situation is that she brings nothing to the table. She really has nothing to offer in this moment except one thing, her willingness her willingness to follow God's leading in her life. Because by God's grace alone, she carries the Savior of the world. She carries her Savior. And out of God's greatness, she has attained this privileged position. She's humbled by it. She's humbled by the reality of this, and she's moved to glorify God about how great and how good is her Lord. And then she continues in verse 49. After arriving at this place of worship, she then proclaims the magnificent attributes of God. Where she says, for might, the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. As we said earlier, she knows her heavenly father. And her awareness of him leads her to a place of confidence that she can therefore say yes to his call upon her life. And, and from the context of her own experiences and from her own meditations upon who the Lord is, she now speaks about some of his attributes. She speaks of his power when she refers to him as the mighty one who is great in ability and who is controlling everything that's happening, all of the stuff that's going on in her life, and that this is no ordinary situation. Only God could make this real. Only God could bring this about. Only God could choose to give her a leading role in the midst of this incredible work that he was doing. She speaks of his holiness. We see the word holy. It means this idea of being set apart. Like there is no other like him. There is no other that compares to him. Nothing on heaven, nothing on earth compares to her Lord. There is no man or woman or angel or higher power that compares to the set-apartness, the holiness of her God. Nothing compares to his perfect character. 
to his perfect attributes, which is why in the book of Revelation we read that the, 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 the worshipers gather around the throne and they proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. But she also declares his mercy. She looks at God's saving work in the past and, you know, even when his people strayed, even when we at times stray from God, he is faithful to always bring us back, to welcome us back, to once again desire to provide protection, to provide the needs of our lives, this desire to continue to bless us when we return to him. But she does mention in here there's a condition. There is a condition of, of this returning back to God. She says those things exist for those who fear him. Now, this idea of fearing God can be understood in two different ways. There is the literal fear of God, like when the angel appears and you kind of duck and hide under your bed. There's that kind of fear. But that's not what she's talking about here. The concept here is more about the sense of awe and reverence. This awe and reverence at who God is. We see examples of this in, for example, when John, again, in the book of Revelation, when John stands before Jesus... In the opening of that letter, it says, When I stood before him, I fell to the ground as a dead man. Now, at first, we might think that he was just terrified. And there's probably a degree of that. I challenge any of you to stand before God and not have a bit of a sense, at least, of fear. Like wanting to fall to the ground, hide in your bed type of fear. But that's not what we see actually taking place here. This idea of falling to the ground like a dead man is a sense of I was so overwhelmed with the awesomeness of the God I was standing in front of. I had no other choice but to lay prostrate and worship. And worship him because of how awesome and good he is. I felt like a dead man in worship before the Lord. And when we start to grasp the greatness of God when we realize that we aren't led to terror because of his greatness, but actually his greatness can be for our gain, we'll start to worship. We'll start to worship him. Third part of Mary's hymn, she continues glorifying God by declaring that he has authority over all. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones but he has built up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Mary knows that she has a favored position. She is the mother of the Messiah, but that doesn't lead her to a place of pride. You see, if she went to a place of pride, her processing of what's going on would come from the sense of a belief that she made it possible, that she bears a pretty weighty part of the responsibility here and that, that she deserves the recognition, but that's not where her mind goes. It doesn't go to the prideful things. It goes to the exact opposite of these things. She goes to a point of not pointing to herself or her own possessions, her own accomplishments, her own talents, but she points to the authority of God. She knows him. She knows that throughout history, he is the one who has conquered the giants, he is the one who has called out kings. He has shut the mouths of lions. She knows he alone is the one who brings life from dust, who provides for the poor, and who sent a savior into the world. He is the one who has been devising the plan. He is the one who has appointed the timing of that. And he is the one who has ordained each and every step from the past to the present and into the future. She knows in this verse that God is not impressed or interested in what she personally has done. 
and what she personally has earned or has sitting on her dresser. None of her possessions. But he looks at her heart. He looks at a heart and looks for one who understands their need of him and humbly seeks to obey him with their lives. And then finally, in verse 54, she closes her song of praise by stating a belief that in the past, God has been faithful. And so towards the future, I can trust him as well. She says, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. See, throughout the Old Testament, there's this long, difficult history between God and the nation of Israel. There were these moments of great faithfulness that existed in that story, in that, in that journey that they were on together. But there was also these incredibly long, numerous times when Israel would just, just totally betray God. And during those moments, sometimes God would hand them over to the consequences of their sin. He would allow them, say, you want to walk that way? Let me know how it works out for you. I'm going to let you go that way for a little while. But, but he never forgot them. He always welcomed them. I always wanted to redeem them and bring them back because God was true to his covenants. We talked a bit about this last week, about God's solemn promises that he made to his people. Where he said, I promise that I will love you, to care for you, to honor you and protect you through the good times and through the bad for all the days of your lives. These, these special promises that they made to each other that God never let go of. We read about these covenants that from Genesis right through Scripture. And one of the promises is that one day a Messiah would come. That he would be the light and the Savior of all nations and to every generation. And now Mary is carrying the Christ. She doesn't know all the details, but she knows that God is faithful. She knows that God's covenants are eternal. She knows that she can take it to the bank because God is true to his word. You see, Mary's song is not just a look back through time. It also points forward. It points forward to us. Because this gift that she was celebrating was Jesus Christ. The light and the Savior to her nation, to her generation, and to ours as well. Mary didn't know all the details of what lay ahead for her and her son. But she knew his father. And knowing his father enabled her to say yes to his call upon her life. But what about us? What about us? Like, like if God were to speak to you today, if, if perhaps tonight an angel were to appear in your bedroom while you're getting ready to go to sleep, how would you respond? Fear, right? We've acknowledged that. Fear, that is the standard required biblical response. When an angel appears, because the angel has to start their message with fear not. So once that's out of the way, how would you respond? But what if the angel showed up and brought a present for you? This is my angel. Oh, you got to take the easy ones, right? What if the angel showed up and brought you a beautiful present? You probably, well, well, what is it? I don't know. Well, can you tell me what it is? No, no. Do, do you want it? Well, can I shake it? It's not Lego. Let, you know Lego. When you shake Lego, it's not Lego. Well, what's inside? I don't know. 
It's for you, though. Does it matter? Well, perhaps you look at the gift tag. You look at the gift tag and see who it's from. Maybe that would, would make the difference. Because if you look at the gift tag and it's from like a, a, like a family member. For example, if you get an email this time of year from somebody you know that says gift certificate from a place that you love, there, there's a good chance that actually is your Christmas gift that, that your, your aunt sent to you in the form of a gift certificate. And so you might trust that. However, if you get an email from, like, say, a Nigerian prince who needs your help to claim the $15 million, the gift tag matters because it helps you have an understanding of do I want what's inside. So if you look at the gift tag, it says it's from your heavenly father. Do you want it? Well, what's inside? I, I don't know what's inside, but it's from your heavenly father. That sounds promising. Many people here would go, if it's from a heavenly father, yes, I, I'll accept it. And yet we know the reality is in the world around us, many people look at that and they go, I don't trust it. Even if it's from my heavenly father, I don't trust it. I don't know him. And so I'm not going to accept it. See, Mary didn't know all the details of the gift she received. But the hymn that we just walked through reveals that she knew and she trusted her heavenly father, so she said yes to the gift. Do you know your heavenly father? Do you trust your heavenly father? One of the great questions that you'll encounter if you ask people in the world that, and they'll come back and say, well, can you really know God? Some people look at this question, they go, well, well isn't God just kind of a concept, whether true or otherwise? Isn't he just more of a kind of an ethereal concept? Others will look at it and go, yes, but, but God's invisible. I, I want to know him, but can you really know God? He's, he's invisible and he's unknowable. I want to suggest to you that God can be known and that he wants to be known. See, we read in John 3, 16, the most, one of the famous verses in the Bible, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, born of Mary, into the world so that the world may believe in him, that the world may know God through him. See, God wanted to be known. And part of the way he was making himself known to all people, all generations, was through sending his son, Jesus Christ. We further read in, in, in Colossians 1.15 that the son is the image of the invisible God. Yes, God is, God is invisible. We cannot see him in the sense that some people look at, but that we can see in Jesus Christ that he is the image of the invisible God. And then Hebrews picks up on this as well and says that the son is the radiance of God's glory that the Son is the exact representation of his being, and that he is sustaining all things by the power of his word. You know, and Jesus himself actually confirmed this for us. This isn't just other people saying that, that the Son is the, is the radiance of God and the exact representation. Jesus himself actually confirmed this for us in his own words. In John 14, 6 and 7, when he said, I am the truth, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have also known my Father. See, the first step to knowing God is knowing his Son. And I don't just mean knowing things about Jesus. I mean having a personal relationship with Jesus. He was not just a good man of history. He was not just a wise teacher. He didn't leave those options open for us to choose as a definition of him. 
because he claimed to be God. He claimed to be the way to God, to be the truth about God, to be the one who brings eternal life with God. You cannot make those claims and then leave yourself open just being a good man of history who said some wonderful things. And when you enter into a relationship with your heavenly father, you can start to grow in your knowledge and trust of him through simple tasks such as reading the word of God, which is God's revelation of himself to us. By, by talking to him through times of prayer, we grow in our awareness, our familiarity, our relationship with God through these simple tasks. Mary's hymn is evidence that she knew God, that she knew the word of God. If we were to really dissect everything that she says through that hymn, we will find that there are direct references to the book of Genesis, to 1 Samuel, to 2 Samuel, to the book of Job, to Psalms, to the book of Micah. She knew the word of God that enabled her to craft together this statement of how awesome and good and merciful he is. If you encounter somebody who has been walking with the Lord a long time faithfully and you ask them about him, tell me about your heavenly father. Who is God to you? What has he done for you? Is the cost of following him worth it? They'll have a variety of responses they'll give back to you, but, but I believe all the responses they give back to you will affirm what actually Jesus' brother said and declared about him. When he said, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. See, folks, we are a blessed people. And what we believe about God will determine where we express our gratitude. This verse tells us that God is not shifting and changing and, and that if he was faithful in the past, as Mary calls out for us, as we've ourselves experienced at different times in our lives, that he will be faithful in the present, which means we can trust him for the future. Now, now many believe in, a, in a great, the greatness of God, the goodness of God, and they trust in God, and that leads them to glorify him. And if you find yourself in that spot, or if you want to be in that spot, you don't need to know the details of what's inside the gift. Because you know who the gift is from. And we know the gift is from our Heavenly Father, and every good and perfect gift comes down from above. It comes from Him. You know, last night at, uh, at the Zoomers Christmas party, we, we did this gift exchange thing. You've probably been part of these before, where you, you bring a gift, you wrap it, put it on the table, no tag. But then you select it, no idea what it's going to be. And sometimes you get a good gift. Last night, there were some caramel chocolates that were pretty popular. There were some tea towels that, that went around a few times. Box of turtles that were hidden so they couldn't be stolen from somebody else. I've never seen so much coveting and stealing at a church event. Just do a series on the Ten Commandments. Other times, you go to these events, and it's not a good gift. Last year, we had a staff board Christmas party where we did a gift exchange, and, and Tim... Tim, brought, Tim found a 10-year-old, probably about 10 years old, more than 10 years old, big jar of pickled wieners. Yeah. You, not every gift is good and comes down from the Father above. Some gifts come from Tim. Right? <laughs> but here's the thing. When the gift tag says, Heavenly Father, you can be guaranteed it's good. What kind of gifts does he put in the box? Uh, briefly, I, I, I can't go on, it's too numerous, but, but he brings things that we need. He knows what you need in your life. He, he cares for you and he wants to provide those things for you. He has brought you this far. He will not abandon you now. 
He gives us what we need in those moments. He gives us the gift of relationship. And the reason that Jesus came was so that we could discover that life is better with Jesus than any other option that the world is going to offer to us. And that can be a reality we exist in today, but also can live into eternity with the gift he includes sometimes has a purpose in our lives. You see, God created every single hair upon your head. He adorned, ordained every event that happens in your life. The talents you have are things that you can use in opportunities he gives to you to glorify him and to help others. Did you know that sometimes in this gift box he'll even put a challenge? We don't often look at the challenges and the stresses in our lives as gifts, but they certainly can be. That's a whole other sermon unto itself. But for today, it suffice to say that without those things, we may not ever turn to God. When we have those challenges in our lives, we find that they are not without purpose. That God will use them. That he will walk through them and he will endure them with us. And that he will use them to grow us and to shape us. And at Christmas time in these boxes, we can find things like peace, hope, joy, and love, which are considered to be the gifts of the season, which is actually the Holy Spirit's power within you. You see, I believe that God still speaks to his people today, that he still tries to offer words of encouragement. He tries to still offer good gifts to us. We don't know where they all lead. We don't always know what's inside the gifts, but I know that if we know our Heavenly Father, we can say yes to them. Mary knew that her son would be the Messiah, and that was amazing. But she did not know that he would effortlessly walk on water. She did not know that he would raise his hand and the winds and the waves would calm. She didn't know that at the touch of his hand that he would restore sight to the blind, that the deaf would hear, that the dumb would speak. She did not know that he would feed multitudes with just a few pieces of bread and fish. She didn't know that he would wake people from the dead. She didn't know he would give his life on our behalf. And that through him, he would give the opportunity for everybody to have a personal relationship with their Heavenly Father. He is God's gift to all of us. Do you know him? If you have never said yes to Jesus' gift before, today is an opportunity for you to do so. To say yes to him today and then to say yes to him for every day from this day forward thereafter and discover what the author of Lamentation said when he said that we discovered that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning because great is his faithfulness to us.